0: Howdy and hello, and welcome back to the Cibola Creek Conversations podcast. I'm here, uh, my name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good. Hey, we need to clarify something. All right. I always refer to you as Wyatt Marchant, Uh and you don't pronounce it that same way.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Am I been saying your name, last name wrong, all these these years?
0: No, you're actually the one saying it correctly.
1: And why don't you say it that way?
0: I I always feel really pretentious when I say it that way. (laughs)
1: pretentious.
0: Wyatt Marchand. Marchand. Yeah it's just like oh well this guy automatically everyone knows he thinks he's better than me.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. Well okay well then I'm gonna keep saying it correctly.
0: Yeah yeah. No I say keep saying it correctly because then it's not me doing it because I feel like if I because it's my name it makes it more pretentious.
1: (laughs) Is it uh is it French? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah my is my dad's side. Mom's side's f- full German, so I'm half German, and then the mixer on my my dad's side. But apparently, we're related to uh, Bowie, Jim Bowie. Really? The guy at the Alamo with the big knife. Yeah. hmm
1: Wow, you're famous.
0: Now, who knows? But everybody's related to somebody famous, right?
1: Yeah, it's a great story, though. You just keep telling it. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> that
0: sounded so sarcastic.
1: <laughs> no, I was, being, I was being serious. You serious. tell and that one at parties. right? Yeah. And then throw in the Marchant kind marchant. of thing at the end, and wow! You'd be My name is blessed. Wyatt Marchant,
0: and I'm related to Jim Bowie. <laughs> and I think I'm better than you.
1: Well, I've never really picked up that vibe from you, so you, you don't have to worry about that.
0: Well, that's good because you're probably the only one. But uh, yeah. Anyways, um, we do this thing at Cibolo Creek called Q and A Sunday um and so i guess you want to say a little bit about that
1: yeah um i think we've been doing it i'm i'm guessing maybe 10 years um it's interesting having grown up in church and having really kind of a lifetime impression of how i perceive church and what i think other people often perceive church as um I've always felt like churches are big on answers. Churches are always handing out answers. And churches are always very content-centric. So they always have you know, something they want to tell you, something they want you to learn. And trust me, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I, I enjoy content. But I've never felt like the church is quite as interested in questions. Mm. They're just interested in telling you what they would like you to know. And I've always felt like, particularly for spiritual seekers, they have a million questions. And a lot of times, even committed Christians who've been following Christ for a long time, they have a lot of questions that they don't have solid answers for or just things they wonder about. And I feel like asking questions creates dialogue. It's the opportunity to discuss something. And I've always I've always enjoyed that environment, and I when I guess when I think about the kind of church I want to pastor, I wanted to pastor a church where questions were welcome. They weren't. Uh, they weren't a sign of spiritual immaturity, or they weren't a sign of you know a weak faith, but they were actually a curiosity about understanding more. Yeah, and so I really wanted a church that was dialogue rich, where it was just completely normal for people to ask questions and those questions to be discussed. And so I've worked at different ways that we can invite questions here at Sybil Creek. And one of the ways is this annual service where we, using technology, give people the opportunity to ask any question that they want. And then I take those questions live on the platform and do my best to answer them. And it's been so well received we always get you know a tremendous amount of positive feedback about it because i think people are just longing to have somebody answer some questions for them and then recently we started another opportunity where at on the first thursday of a month because most of our message series are a month long for sundays um the first sunday of the next month is i meet i have a, a an uh, event that i host where anybody's welcome to come and ask questions about the series of messages that we've just completed because i've always been very aware of the fact that you know for 35 40 minutes okay 45 50 minutes i do all the talking on a sunday and they don't get to raise their hand they don't get to say yeah bud and what if and here's something going on in my life and i don't understand how this would relate to that they don't get that opportunity and I know that they have those questions. So I was, I was really conscientious of that. And so we started this thing where once a month people can meet with me in um, an environment where they can bring any questions they have about those series. So it's all been born out of a let's create a church where dialogue about questions is completely normal. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. You see it all through the Bible. Um, all the characters of the Bible – they ask questions. Yeah. And so I I'm not really sure where where in history somewhere the question thing got um, perceived as being weak faith or doubt. I don't I don't see that in that way at all. Yeah. And the the psalms particularly are full of questions. Really authentic questions people have for God. And so I like the person who comes to God with questions. And I like being I I guess I hope instrumental in at least giving them some orientation around how to answer the question. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, it's not important to me that they answer the question the same way I would, but I want to point them to kind of the basis of scripture and understanding the nature of God and the work of Jesus is saying your, your answer lies there somewhere. So um, if I can be instrumental in helping guide them to something that feels like a biblical, grounded answer, um, then that, to me, it doesn't get any better than that. I I could do that all day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I love... There's just something exciting in, I don't know, filling about tackling a question together with somebody um, and having that conversation. And I do think you're right. that I don't know why the church has made it seem like question questioning means you know that you're lesser in some type of way um you know you always hear like people are worried that they're going to come off as that they're doubting or that they're doubtful yeah um and you know like now like i assess different philosophies or ideas or movements and the ones that you can't question they're always the most ridiculous and you have to be you have to be able to question it or all that does is just scream weakness on the side of, um, of of the idea or of the philosophy or of the faith. It's like, well, that person either doesn't know the answer, and so is just going to shame you for asking it, or they want to ha- keep some type of control over you. Um, and it makes mm-hmm. younger people, I know especially, very suspicious of institutions, quote-unquote, um, such as the church. Um, but...
1: Yeah, I think that's a a thing, that there's a generation, that your generation of younger adults who have felt like their questions weren't welcomed, that their questions were perceived as some sort of either doubt or a challenge to kind of the authority of the scriptures. And so, yeah, I think that it was modeled for you at some level that, your questions, your questions aren't welcomed here, and I've always felt like that's that's completely the opposite of of how it should be. Um, you know, I was I'm getting ready for our Easter uh, services coming up here, and I went back and I looked at the archives of my message from last Easter, mm-hmm. and um, I did a series on I, I mean I did an Easter message where we looked at doubt. And we were looking at the character of, of Thomas. And one of the points I made is that normal, rational people operate from a place of doubt. It comes in the form of questions. They want to know the answers to things before they make investments, before they drop their kids off. They they want to get some questions answered by a babysitter or by, you know, childcare providers, a preschool. Uh, they they want to know questions. They want to get answers to questions about before, you know, buying a house.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's because that's normal to ask questions, to get information in order to make wise decisions. And so when you think about, like, the quest of faith or the journey of faith, there's so many unknowns. I mean, we're talking about faith, things that we can't see and touch, but we're asked to believe so it, it to me, it's just completely normal that somebody would ask questions. And it's not because they doubt, and it's not because they're challenging the system necessarily. They're just genuinely looking for information and a consistent um, answers that they get as a way of validating, do the answers hold up? Yeah. And uh, it was interesting when Charlotte and I had our first child, We had a dear friend at the time who was a pediatrician and i remember asking her one time why does our son ask so many
2: questions
1: (laughs) and it's pretty typical of you know a two and a three-year-old child to ask you the same question over and over again and that was what we asked why does our son keep asking us the same question over and over again and I, I'll never forget her answer. She said, because he wants to see if you answer it the same way over and over and over again. Mm. He's building trust, and he's validating, is that, in fact, the answer for his question? Yeah. They my These people of authority, my parents, keep answering the question the same way. Therefore, this must be the truth. Yeah. And I think you take that into adults who who are coming particularly to the, the, the challenge of faith for the first time, they're going to ask a lot of questions and they're paying attention to, is the answer consistent? Because they're trying to validate, is this something I can trust? And really, the whole, you know, the meaning of faith is trust, And what they're validating when it comes to Jesus is, is Jesus trustworthy? Mm. Can I put whatever, you know, eternal confidence in this person called Jesus? So, all to come back to, anytime the church is squelching questions or, you know, making people feel bad about asking questions, I, I think they're doing a tremendous disservice. And I don't think it reflects the nature of God and certainly I don't think it reflects the the character of Jesus. I think he welcomed questions. Yeah. He um he was completely comfortable with that.
0: Yeah. Well and he was he wasn't insecure about his ability to stand up against whatever question was asked. And Absolutely. I think that's you know, that's a lot of the time why Apologetics or defending the faith can sometimes get so nasty at least on depending on who who's doing it right is because they it's their insecurity, and I mean that's everybody in arguments or conversations they allow their emotions and insecurities to take hold of them, but I think that ultimately that's probably where it comes from
1: yeah if you look at the current trend of how people discuss delicate or difficult topics these days we're seeing a lot of this um Let's shut down the conversation or the dialogue by um becoming defensive and accusing of any number of um things that aren't necessarily true <laughs> um, It's because they don't really have an argument or they don't have they they haven't thought through the issue thoroughly enough to be able to defend it without becoming insecure because you're now you've now pushed them beyond what they're capable of of um defending yeah and they're they're probably recognizing that the argument that they're working from doesn't hold water and it doesn't you know it isn't logical all the way through and so what they do is they get defense defensive and they posture up and they start you know calling you names or calling you labels and i think the church can do the same thing is if the church gets defensive toward the person who's asking questions and makes them feel bad, they're really what the church is is demonstrating um, is that either they don't know the answer to the question and they're threatened by that, or they recognize that the way they're explaining it um, is illogical or insufficient. So they just try to posture up and make people feel bad for asking questions. And I've just never, I've never liked, I've never liked that. And I wanted to create a church where that sort of thing wasn't allowed.
0: Yeah. That's actually a telltale sign for me to like know whether or not this conversation is even worth continuing or the idea that they're purporting to, you know, hold is worth uh, considering is how well can it defend itself, and do its proponents debate openly about them? Right. Um, If they don't, probably a bad idea. (laughs) Probably a bad idea. But on Q&A Sunday, you only have, well, technically like, what, 40 minutes, and sometimes you push it to 50?
1: Yeah, you know, a little extra 10 minutes here and there never hurt anyone. Uh Uh (laughs) Except our entire children's ministry department that's, waiting for me to get done but uh yeah i'm get, typically given 35 minutes and then we got a little bit of leeway there so yes on a q and a sunday there's no way we can get to all of the questions we'll get as many as 50 75 100 questions depending on the size of the um, audience but um there's just no way Mm-mm. and you know you and i work together you hosted the last q and a and um you know how many questions we didn't get to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you also saw that I was answering questions as considerately as I could as far as providing a response, but I was trying not to go on and on. Yep. I, I would sort of cut the answer short so that we could move on to a next question. Yeah. So yeah, we get a lot of questions, but we can't get to all of them. And one of the things that a podcast offers us is maybe the opportunity to either cycle back to some questions that we didn't feel like we got enough time to answer or to get time to get to some of the other questions.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what we are doing starting with this episode. Um, But, but yeah, no, you really don't have a whole lot of time. And I I was also just thinking like, not only do you have to answer it somewhat quickly, but you also have to think about it and formulate your answer (laughs) before you can actually even give your answer. Um, but again, you probably get a lot of the same questions. I think you even said that you get a lot of the same questions year to year. Um, is that about right? You think?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, so we have this technology where people text the question and then it shows up on a computer that your the host is um, referencing, and it's there. It's interesting. You'll get fifty different questions, and thirty of those questions are. 15 of those questions are all the same questions. They may be different words, yeah. asked different ways, but they're all asking about this historical event or this social dilemma or this passage of Scripture or this theological topic. And so what it shows is that on any given Sunday, if you have an audience of 300 people, many of them are asking the same questions. Mm-hmm and they're wondering about an answer to it. So that's really clear, clearly demonstrated on these Q&A Sundays that um, people are wondering a lot of the same things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this last time, whenever I hosted it with you, um, we got a lot of cultural questions, like how does the Christian respond to this cultural thing? Yeah. Um, as you'd probably expect, I mean, given the world at least our country, we all know the world, but um, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of, to tackle two questions, both of which one was like the second most, I guess liked or wanted to, people wanted it answered. And you' got to these questions, but I thought it just might be good for us to talk about it a little bit more in detail, um, especially before we start talking about the cultural questions, because if these questions, if somebody doesn't understand the answer to these questions, mm. then the answers to the other cultural questions isn't going to mean much.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good thinking on your part. I think if we can tackle some of the questions that we're going to look at today, that would be really foundational to some of the cultural questions that
0: are there. I agree. And so the first question that, was, uh, one of the first question that we're going to talk about is how... Do I distinguish God's will for my life from my own wishes and preferences?
1: Yeah, great question and a very, very popular question for a lot of people. And maybe one of the reasons why I can, at a Q&A Sunday, respond fairly quickly without having to spend a long time formulating a response is I've been answering that question for years. I mean, yeah. people have been asking that question for years. So I sort yeah, of maybe. have a, a foundation or working knowledge of the topic.
0: Well, not only that, you probably asked the same question. Oh, I've asked a the couple question of times. <laughs> a few <laughs> times in my
1: life and even still ask the question. I, I think the important place to begin is let's define, you know, God's will and people will have different... Definitions, of course, and this isn't intended to be scientific or, you know, the theological final answer. But um, the way that I think of God's will is, God has a design for how He intends His people to live, His sons and His daughters, and He has a desire, like He has a way that He would want them to to live in order to honor him and to enjoy the blessing that comes with his design. And I, I don't know, old school, I guess, I, I believe that that design and that desire for how God wants us to live is is all laid out for us in the pages of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. That the Bible is a collection of revelation from God that was... Um, recorded accurately through the protection of inspiration and so anything that i might want to know about god's design or god's desire for human beings is found there so god's will is how he designed our life to work and how he desires for me to live and that's found in the scriptures so an understanding of god's will is going to come through a study and meditation on the truth of the scriptures, and so the way that I discern a difference between God's will and my will is that when we, and we've been talking a lot about this in our past episodes with Redemptive Community, uh, the impact of sin on my life mm-hmm. means that I have the potential and the propensity to be self-oriented, to be selfish. And so it's very possible that Paul Wilson as a human being will be selfish in his ambitions and his agenda and his actions and reactions. And so then my quest to understand God's will for my life is challenging what I want the way I want it up against what the scriptures have to teach about God's desire and design for my life.
0: Mhm. And so considering that how like how specific do you think God's will can be for your life? Cuz I know like a lot of people will just think they think about Christianity as these sets of do's and don'ts and um essentially just hey you can't have fun or do the things that you naturally quote-unquote, naturally want to do, um, at least not when you want to do them. Um, and so I guess how specific is it to people's lives, and is it is it wrong to have this desire and will for your own life? And I guess, like, where do you distinguish between yeah. wrong and right there?
1: Yeah, so if if, again, I'm working from a premise that God's will is God's design and desire for my life. And I find the answers to that in the pages of the Scriptures. And so if you're looking at the Scriptures, the Scriptures provide these principles, these precepts, these commands and instructions of God's desire for our life. And in some ways they're specific, but in other ways they're not specific at all. Like God's not telling me what job to take in in the Scriptures. And God's not telling me what house to buy in the Scriptures. God's not telling me what person to date in the Scriptures by name. So it's not that specific. So I operate from this idea that God's will is not as specific or particular as many people want it to be. Mm. And so I work from these two equations is one, I work from a a perspective of wisdom. I think that wisdom is deeply spiritual and that God leads and guides me in my life through the exercise of being wise. And then I think that there are very specific instructions that provide guidelines for how I should go about my life. And as long as I'm either using a truth-oriented sort of wisdom, and I'm abiding consistently with principles and practices outlined in the scriptures, then I'm in God's will. So here's a way I'd illustrate that. Uh, Years ago, before I came here to Cibola Creek to start this church, I was serving at a church in Wisconsin, and a number of different reasons. We went through a pastoral change there, and I just felt like this was time for me to um, move to another opportunity. So we started searching for different ministry opportunities. And at one point, there were basically three opportunities that had gone to a point in the discussions where it looked like there were going to be off, uh, opportunities afforded us. One was in uh, downtown Center City, Chicago, mm. one was in Arizona and one was here in Texas. And so it's like we had these three opportunities to choose from. And I did not get all worked up thinking, oh, God, I need to know your will. Which one of these am I supposed to go to? I didn't look at it that way. God's will for my life in regards to these three opportunities is I was considering becoming a pastor at one of these three locations. Yeah. And so I know that God has specific instructions for how I am to pastor. So I'm supposed to preach the word. I'm supposed to make disciples. I'm supposed to um, equip the saints. I'm supposed to uh, share the gospel. I'm supposed to care and, and, and um, provide for the flock. And what... What I believe, at the end of the day, God was saying, Paul, I don't care if you do that in Arizona. I don't care if you do that in Center City, Chicago. I don't care if you do that in Texas. Wherever you choose to go, as a pastor, here's my will. Teach the word, shepherd the flock, equip the saints, You know those very specific instructions that we find in the New Testament. So I wasn't wigged out over uh, the idea of, does God want me in one of these three locations specifically? I felt like God's will was wherever you go. Here's how I want you to be a pastor. Now, do I believe that through some you know subtle and interesting ways, God um, gave me a certain confidence to choose one of the three over the other two? That, yeah, I, I also believe that God influenced me. My life in that way but what i don't believe is had i chosen to go to arizona that i would have been outside of god's will or if i had chosen to go to downtown chicago and serve a church there i don't think that i would have been you know somehow uh disciplined for being outside of god's will i i really don't believe that yeah other other people might i just don't um does that make sense yeah so, so i was thinking I'll be in the center of God's will no matter where I go as long as I pastor in relationship to the principles of the Scriptures regarding my role as a pastor.
0: Would you say that perhaps in most scenarios, um, because of the, uh, I guess, lack of specifics, that God's will, and I think your story even supports this, but that God's will oftentimes is more concerned with who we are and the type of person we are and we are becoming rather than specifics about where that might be taking place or what it is exactly that you're doing because you're focusing on who you are, those things, what you do, how you do it, all of that is amalgamated into who you are. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I absolutely believe that. Yeah. I would I would go so far as to say that God's two greatest concerns in relationship to his will is who are you and why are you doing what you do? Mm. The who and the why, I think, are the most important questions to God. And when you can, you know, in your relationship with God, when you can answer those two questions about the choices that you're making in relationship in a way that's consistent with the scriptures then i think you're you're in god's will. The the where, the how, the when, i don't know that those are things that i could point to in the scriptures with with a specificity that says, "Oh, that's that's what god intended for me." Because there's nowhere in scriptures that says, "Paul Wilson, you should go to Arizona to be a pastor." Mm. So the questions I really need to answer is, is who, like what are my gifts, what's my temperament, my passions, um, because those are things that God shaped in me, and they would have an influence on how I would uh, serve a church as a pastor, and I needed to know why. Why did I want to go one place or the other, and what were my motivations? If my motivation was some some in some ways selfish or self-absorbed or was about money or was about safety and security then i wasn't trusting god i'm not sure that i would have been in his will yeah well i'm positive i would not have been in his will um because trust me of the three choices i took the riskiest one yeah um the other two were churches that were established they had history. They had a staff. They had campuses. They had all the resources. There was literally nothing here other than a handful of people that wanted to start a church. Mm. And so I really, I took the hardest or the riskiest route as far as some of those questions about, you know, the amount of money we'd be paid or the conveniences that we would enjoy that, that just... There wasn't that here yeah but um yeah i i don't maybe it's my personality but for me to really get dialed up and worried about am i in the center of god's will with a certain particular or specific you know response that that just That creates anxiety for me, and I know that anxiety is not God's will. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I I tend to live with a little bit more of a lateral flexibility to say as long as I'm staying within the boundaries of Scripture, I'm not really sure that God's will is specific to the questions of where, when, and how.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously there are some do's and do these and don't do that in the bible but i do think you're right like it does it all points towards like a, a a type of person rather than just this laundry list of actions um that every single thing you have to go and you know you have to consult do
1: it. it yeah to, you have to do it exactly a certain way and you have to you know check certain boxes in order to be in the center of god's will and I, that's just exhausting, yeah, and you know, when you think about like, well, you Christians, you have to live according to God's will, and so then you forsake some of the fun and and adventure of, of life with a little bit more freedom and flexibility, um, that couldn't be a bigger myth, because what God's saying is, if you'll follow me and live your life in keeping with my design, the way that I design life to work, you're gonna know blessing. And blessing comes in the form of peace and joy and hope and fulfillment and satisfaction that's truly substantial. It's kind of soulish in nature. And so what God's saying is if you live by my design, you'll be much happier than you could ever imagine. Yeah. And so I'm not giving anything up when I pursue God's will. I'm actually pursuing A greater uh, benefit a greater gain and that is all that god has in store for those who will trust him enough to live his way yeah and so um the person who chooses to live their life by god's design and according to god's desire is just positioning themselves to enjoy life at a level that most people can't really understand
0: yeah yeah well it's like you're not even you're not even giving up freedom "Quote unquote," because I think that true freedom is more the ability to say no to yourself, Mm. rather than well, say no in general, but also to yourself, rather than just doing whatever it is that your body says that you want or you you say that you want right now. Um, it, It which I think is just I think it's a beautiful thing that like God's God's design for our life is the thing that gives us the most freedom, and His will for our life is for us to have the most freedom. That we can, um, so I guess going off of that, then where does the Holy Spirit fit into that? The 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 well, all confusing Holy Spirit for most people.
1: You want to tackle all the subjects today? Huh? I'll
0: tell you what I thought of it while you were talking.
1: <laughs> so, Holy Spirit, for those who you know who may just be kind of new to the whole discussion. Um, God exists as a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father is and as much God as Jesus the Son is. Um, The Holy Spirit is that member of the Trinity that, from what I can discern in in the Scriptures, is most active in our spiritual guidance and in our spiritual transformation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that's changing me um, spiritually. It's... It's his um, work that's creating in me a uh, a certain awareness and a conscience about the things of God. I don't. I'm not going to come up with that stuff naturally. Mm-hmm. It's the Spirit's work in my life that makes me aware, convicted of sin, makes me um, builds in me a desire to do the things of God, and. One of the very specific instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples about the nature of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit would lead them and that the Holy Spirit would teach them. He would help them discern and understand the application of his truth in the scriptures to the various and the sundry circumstances and situations of their life. So... When I'm seeking God's will in a matter, it's the Holy Spirit who is the one ultimately answering that question and guiding and leading me toward a discovery of what I come to confidently conclude is the right thing to do. Um, and then we can get into a huge discussion about you know, discerning the voice of God in our life and how that all works with our conscience and how that all works with you know an understanding of time in the scriptures but at the end of the day in a kind of a practical anatomy of all of that it's that's that's the the territory of the holy spirit yeah as i immerse myself in an understanding of god's will by studying the scriptures it's the holy spirit who's going to be highlighting We'll call them certain impressions, understandings, insights about oh, that that passage that I just read and what I learned from it. Oh, that has bearing on this thing that I'm trying to decide, or this choice I'm making, or this path I'm on, and it that spirit's voice in us um, guides us into the choices that we make.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Was that what you were looking for, or were you looking it for was, something else?
0: I have a bunch of questions on the Holy Spirit, but it, that would be take us very far off track.
1: <laughs> we'll have um, to do an episode on the Holy Spirit, I guess, or a couple. A um, couple
0: yeah. You're, well, you're best to do. You're about to do a series on the Holy Spirit. I right? am.
1: I am. Uh, what in uh, May after Easter, we're going to yeah. start a series. Well, maybe, maybe ghost maybe. stories. How that for? Oh, a title? that's fun. Ghost stories. So we're going to look at four four places in the scriptures where we hear a story about the holy spirit. Do you believe and in ghosts? I do not believe in ghosts, yeah, but do I? I don't I'm not an authority on that topic, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I I think it'd be way more fun if ghosts were real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad they don't cuz every horror movie I've ever watched has scared the bejeebers out of me and usually does so for like the next two months.
0: Yeah, but those are normally like demons. I'm talking just ghosts. I'm talking normal people who just are here for some reason, walking around. Wow,
1: That'd be fun, though, right? Yeah, you my, might, you'd have to invite a different guest in for that episode. I don't.
0: I mean, I would. it's just entertainment for me, that discussion, because I don't believe it, but I do think it'd be fun. But here's something my mother's going to hate me for, but she claims...
1: Your mother could never hate you, Wyatt.
0: Well, she's going to be embarrassed that I bring this up. <laughs> she claims that she saw a coffee table levitate off the ground, and then sit back down. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Because if I were a ghost, I would do that. Just yeah. move things around.
1: Just move things around to mess with people?
0: I guess. I so don't
1: here's an interesting story. So Charlotte and I and the boys, we have two sons. Um, one time we went to downtown San Antonio for a Segway tour. Mm. We all were on Segways. Is that what they're called, right? Segways? Yeah. And then the tour was called the, the San Antonio Ghost Tour, and so we went to these different places in downtown San Antonio different buildings where there's a lore of some sort of ghost activity and there's one there's one story that's um, it's it spooked me yeah, and I have no way of validating it, but um, the guy telling the story sounded pretty credible, and I'm like, man, if that if I experienced that in that building, I would never go in there another day in my <laughs> life. that's too scary stuff.
0: Well, luckily the ghosts are uh, under house arrest most of the time. So they can't leave the building. Oh, I didn't know that. Associated. Is that a ghost well, story? No, but that's apparently how it works. Oh. You're okay. going on a tour to different buildings. Right. And the ghosts only stay there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bogus. <laughs> Controversial Bogus. opinion. <laughs> Number five. Man, how 000. did
1: we get here from. We were talking discussion. about the Holy
0: Spirit. That's the natural way for that conversation oh, yeah. to go. <laughs> and you said ghost stories, which is the series. Um, but okay, so I think, I think that that is a pretty good, uh, I guess, understanding of how to determine God's will. I do think that He's more concerned with who you are and why you're doing what you're doing um, rather than all the specifics. And it's going to be uh, your decision on that. And then the Holy Spirit's work in your life as well to transform you into that person. And that's what's going to guide all the smaller uh, the smaller decisions in your life that might not be so specific.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. So you got this broader set of uh, guardrails that you have committed to live your life around as informed by the Scriptures. mm mm-hmm. And so as you live within those guardrails, the particulars and the specifics are really, I don't know, as germane or as important to God's will as what some people want to make them. Yeah. So it's interesting when when you get into the discussion about, you know, what's God's will for my life, and I'm just calling on 30 years of experience here as a pastor, um, it seems like there's three or four popular topics where people come to me and say, I'm trying to discern God's will. So it's almost always about who do I marry? Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost always about what job do I take? It's almost always about, um, uh, it's surprising how often it's about the purchase of a home. Mm. What's God's will about? We got these three or four houses that we're looking at. And then, The other one is some sort of a justification for some sort of sin. Yeah. What's God's will about this? Uh (laughs) Which is the easy one to say, um, because nine times out of ten, it's a a behavior or a habit that is so outside of the guidelines, those boundaries that we talked about, Mm -hmm. that you can go, okay, I can tell you that that's not God's will. So... Changing that behavior and doing the work to move your life within the bounds of the scriptures, that's God's will for your life. Quit doing that destructive, unhealthy thing that you are trying to justify. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard (laughs) everything that you can imagine.
0: Um, Didn't think you'd have to ask about that one. What's (laughs) What's that? <laughs> is that? Yeah. how many times have you thought that? Like I didn't think you'd have to ask about that one.
1: Yeah, but see that's that's the power of sin is trying to justify or rationalize something that we selfishly want. Yeah. And it's it's easy for me cuz I'm sitting over here in a different chair but to say to them, yeah, that's outside of God's will. You you should stop that. I'm not I'm not going to give you justification for this. Yeah. I'm not going to be the one who says, "Oh, you know what you should" Be happy and do what you want. I'm not going to say that because that's outside of those boundaries. Um, the one about who do I marry, and it's, it comes back to um, the kind of person who you are and who they are, and it comes down to the question of why. Why yeah. are, Why are you drawn to that person? Why do you believe that spending the rest of your life with them is the wisest choice that you could make and there are some clear principles i mean you know how many times have i sat with a couple and one of them is a christian and one isn't and they're wanting in a sense a blessing from their past about like this is okay and i'm going you know what you can do it but i'll just tell you in in an understanding of the scriptures that that's going to be challenging because the two of you have different sets of values, different priorities, different beliefs. And the push comes to shove. Once, once you're within the covenant of marriage and the context and the, you know, the confines of this marriage, that stuff's going to, to come to the surface and be an issue. Yeah. And right now you're dating or you're engaged or you're, you know, been dating and, He's handsome and she's beautiful and you guys are just head over heels in love with each other. And and a lot of that, you know, values and priorities and and habits, beliefs, for some reason, don't seem to be, you know, important. Because we're in love and we're having a great time. But, man, you get into the confines of a covenant of marriage and that stuff rears its head. It's Mm -hmm. inevitable. I mean... You just come down to, like, okay, it's Sunday morning. What are we going to do? One of them going, well, I think I should should be at church. And the other one's going, well, I, I don't think I should be. And, well, that's going to create some sort of tension. Yep. And how they navigate that's going to be an important uh, decision. And then you throw kids into the mix. Mm-hmm. And, like, what kind of example are we setting of, you know, this divided marriage about the importance of, you know, a faith in God? and And so you know corinthians talks about being unequally yoked and that that's that's the point of that is you're pulling in opposite directions so it seems to me and again it's it's easier for me to say uh, than it is for them to decide but um it's probably outside of god's will that two people on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to faith, unite their life together because it's it's not going to produce the joy, the peace, the hope that their soul desires. Yeah. In fact, it's going to lend itself to conflict and resentment and bitterness. And that's a really awful you know environment for a marriage to thrive.
0: You're not becoming one, right? There's an not. entire point of marriage and you're not becoming yeah, one.
1: You're not becoming one because you're pulling in different directions on a lot of things. And so God's just saying, in, in wisdom, God's just saying, oh, please don't do that because you're going to not enjoy the peace, the joy, the hope that I have for you because you're ignoring me on this important instruction about my will for your life, my design for marriage. Yeah. And I've watched it far too many times of people wanting wanting me to justify their decision to pursue a relationship with someone that they don't share faith with and want me to kind of appease their conscience about it being God's will because, well, he's splendid or she's beautiful and and we're in love, and I can't can't do that. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, going off of God's will, the next, I think, fitting question is I struggle with trusting God I long to trust, but often pull back and end up just trusting myself. Uh, That inevitably doesn't work out very well, so this person says. So how do I I better uh, fully trust God, and how can I grow in it?
1: Yeah. So there's this tension. And the tension is trusting God, and taking responsibility. And the dance is, how do I balance the two? Because there is an aspect of us living by faith where I assume responsibility for the things that I'm responsible for. Trust comes in to the, to the equation when there's things beyond my control that I can't manipulate, I can't fabricate, I can't, I don't have any influence over, but they have factor, they have bearing on my life. And I think where trust is, where trust comes in is, I take responsibility for the things I can do, and I trust God with the rest. I trust God with the things outside of my control. So, um, for instance... Like a career choice i can be responsible for all the things that come with my job description i can co- i can be responsible for all the things that comes with being a good employee uh, dependable and all of those things but there's probably factors in the market or the industry that i am a part of i can't control i can't control whatever number of influences have a bearing on my on the market yeah. or on my industry. And so I have to trust God that he's going to provide for my needs when things in the industry are not going well. But I can't do anything about that. And so I have a choice of whether I'm going to live in peace and I'm going to live in a confidence that my God will supply all my needs. That's trust. Or I have a choice where I can worry and fret and be anxious and fearful that, oh, I'm going to lose my job or the industry is going to implode and, and I'm going to you know, lose money or you know, whatever the consequences might be of an industry downturn. So the Christian who lives in a, let's, a volatile industry He takes responsibility for doing his job well and being a dependable employee in the company that he serves and and being a person of integrity because those are all things that he can do or she can do as a a follower of Christ. And then all of those market concerns that end up having an impact on their job, they have to trust God with that Mm -hmm. rather than worrying about it. So trust is living in this I I call it as this confidence and this courage that God understands all that's going on in and around my life. He's promised to as as his son or daughter, he's promised to take care of me. And that doesn't mean it'll be easy. That my life will be, you know, easily easy and without problems. It just means that I don't have to worry about him making taking care of my needs. Yeah. And what, again, there's this offer that God's making to us as human beings in his design and in his desire is, if you'll trust me and rest in a confidence and a courage that I'm going to take care of your needs, then you're going to know joy and peace and stillness of soul that other people won't have when they get all wound around the axle in worry and anxiety.
0: Yeah. Well. What is the connection between trusting God and placing yourself into a situation to where you have to depend on Him? So, like, I look at your story about coming here. I think that you it would require about you choosing to start sibilo rather than go to those two other one of those of those two other churches. Right. You had to. There was trust in all of it because there were things outside of your control at each one of them. Granted, coming here required more. Um, I think coming here required required you to depend on God more. And so, are those two linked to a degree? Because I think depending on God, it can be, it can it can be more than just the things outside of your control. You can actively place yourself in them. And so, I guess like, where is the dividing line? How are they connected? And is it? how do you know when it's wise to do so? That's a lot of questions, but
1: yeah, you got a lot of questions there. Um, And I'm sorting through what I understand you're asking. I think, I think God loves it when we choose to place ourselves in his trust or in a trust of him Mm -hmm. in his trustworthiness. I think God, invites us to live like we were talking a few episodes ago to live the adventure and to step outside of our comfort zone and be willing to give up some of that comfort and that convenience and that you know security that we think comes with money and and predictability and god's saying hey want to go on an adventure want to try something outside your comfort zone because when you do that it forces you to trust me in a way that you won't typically when you have all the props. You'll trust me, and when you trust me more than you typically do, you get me more than you typically do. Mm. You'll enjoy more of what I have for you by way of peace and joy and hope and and uh, fulfillment. I, I I do. I really feel like we... Too often the American Christian who likes a certain amount of predictability and comfort and convenience and tradition, we just shortchange ourselves from all that God has for us, that he's out there saying there's there's an experience of joy and there's an experience of peace and experience of fulfillment that you won't ever experience in the comfort and convenience of being in control. Yeah. So when you step outside and you do something way outside of your comfort zone and it forces you to trust me in ways that you don't typically trust me, you're also going to enjoy a blessing that I have in ways that you don't typically enjoy. So, and here's just an example of that. Take the person who goes, oh, I would never go on a missions trip to um, you know some deserted uh, developing place on the planet because, and we'll get ridiculous here, because I need a hot shower, and I need a clean bathroom, and I want uh, sanitary water, and I want to know what I'm eating, and I want to know that when I lay my head down at night that nothing's crawling on me. And so we, yeah. we we get these very defined things like, I won't go and do this because, well, this is my agenda and this is my preference. And God's going, oh, okay, okay. But there's something for you in that country where if you would step outside of your comfort zone and go and do this really hard thing for you, you're going to depend on me in a way that you don't in the comfort and convenience of your little bubble that you've created at home. You step outside of the bubble and you're going to have to focus on a trust in me like you never had before. Well, guess what? I've got some things for you there that you'll never enjoy in your bubble. Yeah. And so that's trust It's like, okay, am I willing to believe that? Am I willing to take God at his word and, give up my comfort and convenience and go do this thing and you know explore God in a way that I won't in the safety of my bubble and when you step out in that kind of trust there's some amazing things uh here's another and this is a very practical example um you know God says you can't outgive me everything that you have has been given to you by me and so I'm asking that you give a percentage of what I've given to you, you give it back to me so that it can be used for the work of the kingdom of God in the world. And I, I just say percentage. Some people want to say 10%. I'll say just willing to give a percentage, um, whatever one you may decide between you and God. But let's just say 10% for the discussion. And there's, there, I mean, millions and millions and millions of American Christians who go, yeah, I'm not going to trust you with 10%. In fact, I may not trust you with any percent, and so they never give. <laughs> or I'll trust you with 1%, but uh-uh, I got all this other life I'm trying to afford over here, and they don't ever want to question that. They don't ever want to examine that if that's in keeping with God's will and whatever. And and God's going, okay, you just need to know, if you're going to be stingy toward me, you're not going to enjoy some of what I have for the person who goes, God, I'm going to trust you with the 10%. I'm all in. Here it is. And i watch you provide and bless in ways that I would never know as a one percenter. Mm. And so that's really kind of a practical example of, am I willing to trust God and step outside of You know, this whole image that I make money and I keep it, that's how I become wealthy. And God's going, (laughs) joke's on you. It's not. It's not how you get wealthy. The way that you want to be truly wealthy, as in the way that God defines it, is you give back to God, and then he gives to you in ways that you can't imagine. And you experience some things that only comes with stepping outside of that financial comfort zone and that, that need for you know, financial security by giving back or giving away what God has blessed you with, and there's, there's surprises that await the person who would do that.
2: Mm.
0: So I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this so mechanically, but um, would it be accurate to say, let's use the example of going on a missions trip, you trust that God has something there for you and that that trip is not going to be a waste of your time and that he's going to pull you through it. And it's while you're there, it's it's through dependence on him that that blessing and, I guess, growth then uh, is given to you. Um, I'm trying to figure out how those two play together because, like, I think you're right. Right. And it's like not only does he just have something to give you, it whenever you step outside of your comfort zone, there is an act, like the way I'm looking at it like there's an actual version of yourself you won't ever become mm. unless you do. And it's like to think about well, there's a whole bunch of versions of Wyatt Marchant that I might never become because I wasn't willing to trust or to step outside and have to lean on him because I am just wanting to stay in my comfort zone um i don't think many people think about trusting god that way it's i don't know it's weird and 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 they don't think about depending on him that way either um i don't know what do you think about that
1: Uh, i like i like how you said that i think that's uh, that'll get me thinking here is is there a version of myself that doesn't exist because i'm unwilling to trust god to the degree that he invites me to, I, I th- that's really, really intriguing. It's a me. scary thought, um, but I think you're right. I think there is a, I think there is, and we we'll, we'll, let's use, let's say it this way: there is a full devotion version of Paul Wilson. Mm-hmm. There's a full devotion version of Wyatt Marchant. <laughs> okay, and the more I refuse to surrender. And the more I refuse to sacrifice and the more I insist on control, the more I insist on my preferences and the more I cling to my sin, I'm shortchanging myself the opportunity to truly become all that Christ has for me. Therefore, I'm missing out on what he has for me. In being that, hmm. did that make sense? Yeah,
0: I mean, I heard essentially. I think trusting God is depending on Him after you make your sacrifice, or depending on Him with the sacrifice, or on whatever yeah. position that puts you in after the sacrifice is made.
1: Yeah, if if I step beyond where I currently am, am in a deeper fuller expression Mm -hmm. of trust, then God has a deeper, fuller expression of the transformation that he's going to bring about in my life. Yeah. So the more I hold on to sin, the more I demand my comfort and convenience and refuse to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm missing out on the opportunities that come with that greater dependence upon God mm-hmm. I don't know why this just popped in my head, and maybe it doesn't really work, but I think it does let's see i can I can watch the television and watch a documentary on Niagara Falls
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I can you know experience the falls in a digital format. Yep. And then you stand at Niagara Falls, or you you walk down one of those uh, pedestrian bridges and you actually go and stand underneath the falls in your your raincoat, and you hear that sound and you feel that mist and you're immersed in the experience of Niagara Falls. Well, those are two totally different, Experiences,
0: yeah. All right, it's like it's like upgrading your character in a video game, <laughs> I becoming don't play this video great games, thing. So I don't know. Well, neither do I. Well, I mean, I have, but yeah, <laughs> like it's like upgrading your character in a video game and becoming this great hero, all while sitting on your couch eating Cheetos, <laughs> right? When you could be upgrading your real self, yeah. Joe. Like you know, it's obviously it's a metaphor, but also literally.
1: Yeah, so you know there's so then in keeping with the illustration I think there's people who have you know a Niagara documentary spiritual life. They're they're reading about it, they're hearing about these things, they're mm-hmm. looking at what you know some of the characters of scripture did by when they stepped out in faith with this unusual courage and confidence. And so they have a digital version of what they believe about God. And and what's waiting for them out there is go to Niagara Falls. Go put yourself outside of your comfort zone and depend on God in a way that you never would inside the bubble. And you are going to experience something that far exceeds where you currently are. Mm-hmm. And um, I th- I think... I think that's how I would distinguish the difference between like different uh, levels of trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and here, so here's like a practical, um, another practical example. So there's plenty of Christians who know they are supposed to share their faith with their friends. They're supposed to tell them about Jesus, but the truth of the matter is they never do because they're nervous and they get butterflies and they don't know how to have the conversation and they're afraid they're going to offend and hurt a friendship or you know they're you know they don't mix religion and politics with you know friendships and so, so they never tell their friends about Christ i don't even know what a friendship is if it doesn't have religion and politics in <laughs> it not everybody is like <laughs> you okay <laughs> so I think God's saying to them, I'll just tell you this, there is a depth of joy and there's going to be an elation of faith that you'll never know until you step out in courage and bring Jesus up with a friend mm. and start cultivating that conversation. And actually then at some point in once the rapport has been built and the opportunity you know, presents itself to say, where do you stand in a relationship with jesus christ well right there you're you're now at the false you're feeling the mist you're hearing the noise i mean you're right there where god has invited you to follow him and the courage to share the gospel yeah but when you when you um shy away from that and you pull away from that every time you feel like you're there oh you know i could i could never do that i can never share my faith or i wouldn't know what to answer the question or i, I don't want to make this weird uh, you, we're just shortchanging the uh, the adventure
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um we miss out on what god has for us there because i'll tell you what there is no greater joy than knowing i led my friend to jesus and they're now going to spend eternity in heaven because I had the courage to cultivate the relationship and seize the opportunity to step outside of my comfort zone and say, can I tell you about Jesus and what he's done for you?
0: Or even at the very least, like, knowing that you did what you could do. Yes. Because it's like, I don't think that the ultimate failure there, in this example, for example, is that well God didn't follow through you didn't use your efforts. The failure is that you didn't even try. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I I have this friend in my life, um, and I'll try to neutralize all the details here. Um, not that he he's gonna be listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I I just don't want to give it away. Heard around the world. You don't know heard that. around the world. all four of our followers Uh your mom my mom and my fiance (laughs) um but there's a a person that i know and i don't know why i really don't god's laid it on my heart to um do what i can to lead him to christ Mm -hmm. i know he's not a christian and um So I overheard him in a conversation. I literally, I wasn't even in the conversation with him. I overheard him say something about something he's interested in. And I've been looking for these opportunities, like how do I get to spend time with this person and nurture this friendship? And uh, when I overheard him say that, I was like, oh, that, that might be an opportunity. So... I was. I was a little nervous. I got the butterflies, but I, I sent him a, a, a message, and I s- said, hey, I heard you say this. I'm really curious about that, too. You sound like you have a lot more experience with it than I do. I'd love to learn what you know. Would Would you be willing to get together and introduce me to what I'd like to know about this thing?
0: It sounds like <laughs> trying to slide into somebody's DMs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was looking for a way. I was looking for a way. Now, fortunately, we have you know we have a, an affinity and no, so a conversation know. and all that. But I was like, oh, he could think I'm really weird, but he didn't. He was like, oh, I would love to. Yeah. And so we're we're setting up a date for us to you know go and explore this thing. A, a time on the calendar, not a. He made it worse. <laughs> yeah. Now it's gotten really weird. I got butterflies,
0: and now we have a date. <laughs>
1: We might have to edit this whole episode. Um, no, so we're setting up a time on the schedule for us to do this, and I'm I'm really excited because I feel like okay, this is the adventure.
0: Yeah,
1: is stepping out with the courage and the confidence to maybe eventually introduce him to Jesus, mm-hmm. and I'm not expecting it to happen tomorrow. I'm taking the long range approach here but that's to me that's an expression of trust is god's invited me to be an ambassador of the gospel and to you know be a witness and i'm stepping out trusting him to honor that design i don't that doesn't guarantee that this person is going to come to christ but it does guarantee that i'm living in the center of god's will and trusting him with something he's asked me to do yeah and we'll just see what becomes of it?
0: Well, that's like that's what I would even say to somebody who, because I can already like somebody who's kind of on the fence. And the question they'd be asking is like, "Well, why should I trust that God's going to provide something on the other side that made all that worthwhile?" Yeah, and it's like, "Well, try it." Would be my advice to that person. It's like, <laughs> "What's the worst that could happen?" Right. Um, it, I, that's one. It's like people just don't, they don't want to try it, and it's like, "Well." If you were really honest with yourself, you're probably unhappy with how you are right now in some type of way. And so try it. Try God's way and see, see what comes out on the other side. See if you hit that Niagara Falls on the other side. I don't know what you would say to that person, but that's what I would say to that person.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I would have a similar response. Is like, uh, I think God's inviting us. Trust me. Trust me, he says it over and over again, trust me, trust me. So I think it's always wise advice to tell people, step out and try Mm -hmm. in a spirit of trust because there's nothing that God loves more than when we trust him and he loves to meet us there. And I've heard, I don't, you know, story after story of somebody who stepped outside of a comfort zone and did something that they believed to be what God had led them to do, and then telling some amazing stories of how he met them there. And I just think that's the adventure that is waiting Christ follower if, if they're willing to go on it. But the person who, like, just wants to play it safe all the time, I'll, I'll go to church, I'll maybe... Um, serve as a volunteer from time to time i'll read my bible a couple times a week and this have this real predictable sort of casual christianity what they don't understand is they're missing out yeah there's something for them that god has outside of that predictable religious routine and you know i'm trying to challenge myself to step out into greater spiritual adventures. And then as a pastor, I'm I'm trying to have an influence in inviting other people to do the same. Because I, I do think that there's there's something more for those who will step beyond where they currently trust God. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I agree. You'll never get you'll never get beyond his capacity to provide for your needs. You're never going to out-trust him like, oh, I went too far. (laughs) No, he's always going to be dependable and trustworthy. He will always come through. And granted, you have to be willing that if you're going to step out on the adventure, it's, you know, adventures by nature are risky. So it it may not go like you want it to go, but it's going to go in the direction and in the way that he wants it to go. And that's where the blessing is. Yeah,
0: right. It's the it's the climb, not the. It's not. What what is it? how does the Miley Cyrus song go? It, it's, yeah, you know I'm talking about.
1: No, what? I don't know. It's like I it's, don't not know it's not reaching the mountaintop.
0: It's not Neil. Obviously, I don't either. But it's not. It's not reaching the mi- the mountaintop. But it's the climb. <laughs>
2: the joy in the journey. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. All it was was just a worse version of the old proverb, but trying to be culturally relevant even though i'm not Child. i'm the furthest 23 year old from being culturally relevant relevant
2: <laughs> but
0: well very good well i think that that was a pretty good conversation on both of those both distinguishing god's will and trusting him in following it any closing thoughts on those two things
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think if we talked about this on a previous episode or if this was just a conversation I had in another setting recently. I'm really enamored these days with what it means to trust God. And I'm kind of captured by these statements in Scripture, like, be still and know that I'm God. And they that wait upon the Lord... Will renew their strength, and other verses that essentially teach that when you trust God, you'll know peace. So I'm really enamored with that, and what like how that works practically, like what does that really mean in, in a life? And I, I like to define peace as a stillness of soul meaning there's not a lot of turmoil and anxiety and fear you know chaos inside of me yeah and so i think what i think what it means is that for the christ follower who's trusting god to provide for their needs and to be in control and to answer prayer and to love regardless of to love unconditionally and when we trust God in those sorts of ways, that it's possible for the Christ follower to be totally surrounded by chaos and be at peace.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it doesn't matter what relational chaos or what social chaos or what financial chaos may be swirling around a person at any given time. When they're living in they're living in a relationship of trust with God, then how he meets them is you get to enjoy a stillness of soul. That you can go to bed at night and you can rest comfortably knowing, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm not leaving you or forsaking you at any time for any reason. Um, You are completely safe. In me. And I'm, I'm curious about that. It's interesting, you know, I'm, I, t- I turned 60 this summer. I've never really been a worrier, but I'm finding myself the older I get, I seem to be getting more anxious. And I don't like that. Anxious for what? I, I don't know, anxious about my future, anxious about my uh. family, anxious about finances and health. And I'm like, ooh, where did this come from? And I, I the only explanation I have is, you know, maybe as the older you get, you start worrying about these things for some reason. Time's
0: running out. It yeah. has to be why, right?
1: Yeah, it has to be. I'm sixty. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but I'm going okay, I don't I don't wanna be the person who the older I get, the more crotchety and honry and worked up I get. Yeah. I wanna I wanna and I mean this in a faith way, I wanna be calm, cool and collected. Mm-hmm. I want to live at peace knowing that my god has my life in his hands and nothing's going to happen to me that he doesn't ordain or anoint or allow for his purposes and i'm going to trust him in whatever those purposes might be so rather than letting my heart become chaotic with all of this fear and anxiety and worry i want to i want to live at peace I want to lay my head on my pillow at night and go to sleep knowing I'm good. It's good. It it may be chaotic, but I'm good. Yeah. And so I'm I'm working through that personally and you know, I'm a pastor and I'm a a teacher, so there isn't anything that I work through personally that at some point doesn't become work toward like a teachable point of view. Yeah. Like how am I going to share this with other people if I'm going through it? and as a pastor, part of my job is to shepherd a church family, then I have to start thinking through my experience in, a, in the ways that I could then take lessons that I've learned and help a congregation. Yeah. And so um, I'm, I'm going through this experience personally, and I want to find that kind of confident, courageous faith where um, I can walk out onto the battlefield without being afraid of a Goliath. I don't have anything to be afraid of because of what I know about God. Or I can step down into the Red Sea with a, a two million people behind me. And I, God told me to step down in the sea like Moses. So I'm, I'm going to step down in the sea. And I'll trust that he's going to do something. I don't know. He's, we're going to miraculously walk on water. He's going to part the waters. I don't know what he's going to do. But I'm going to proceed in courage and confidence that I'm doing what God wanted me to do. And, you know, just take any, uh, Peter, step outside of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I do that? I'm a fisherman. I know water. I know boats. I, you don't step out in the middle of a lake in a storm. That's a great way to drown. Will you trust me? You might end up walking on water. So th- th- that's where I am these days, is trying to think through the level of my trust in what I know to be true about God and living with a courage and a confidence in it that allows me to rest peacefully throughout my day in in the the assurance that God's got me. Yeah. And God's got my, my sons and God's got my wife and God's got this church and and I don't have to spend my life worked up and in chaos all that stuff
0: and i guess that kind of makes sense too like it's not necessarily even that time is running out but it's the more the more responsibility that you accumulate uh and the more people that you're responsible for you you feel like you're responsible for like it would make sense that you would become increasingly concerned about that kind of stuff you know yeah i'm not saying that i'm not saying that you should that it's a good thing Given, if you trust God, I'm just saying, like it would make sense, like because like whenever you're young, you're not thinking about very much, and you don't have a whole lot of responsibility. But as soon as you do, like you become much more concerned, and the likelihood that you're going to become anxious is much higher.
1: Yeah, with with the passing of years, you become more aware. Yeah. Of danger, you become more aware of change, deterioration of health, and you know, a host of c- concerns. The three-year-old kid generally doesn't have any of that to worry about. No. So they're playing delightfully in the corner because what do they have to worry about?
0: It sounds like 20-year-old kids nowadays.
1: <laughs> I i wasn't going to go there. I just, three-year-old. I'll go there.
0: They're my people. I'll call them <laughs> they're
1: out. are my people. Um, but when you're, you know, when you're 30 and 40, you're looking at it from a different perspective that's my 3-year-old i have to take care of them yeah and i now have a house and i have a wife and i have um a job and i have to keep this job in order to provide for my family and so yeah your your awareness of your responsibility and obligations increase the older you get the 3-year-old he's clueless to that there's three meals a day and a comfortable bed and people watching out for them well there comes a point in your life where <laughs> nobody's providing for you but you yeah and so i think as the old, the older we get our concerns grow i just don't want to succumb to some sort of spiritual seduction that i permit myself to live a life of worry and fear because of all these increasing concerns. I want to live at peace. Not because, dang it, I want to live at peace. I believe that God's design affords peace. So if I'm experiencing peace, then that gives me the assurance that I'm living in relationship to his design. So now I have to figure out what's God's design for me in relationship to being 60. 60 and moving into a new era of life and figuring out, okay, what does he want for me in this era so that I can live in keeping with the design and enjoy the blessing that comes with living in his design. Yeah. Mm. That was probably more than you were asking for. Perhaps,
0: but I mean, I think that's... I don't think it was more than I was asking for. I might not even have known what I was asking for.
1: Well you did say in conclusion or as we close and then we just got off on a whole new
0: uh-huh. topic. That, well that's what happens in on Sunday mornings in those <laughs> last five minutes of a lot of time <laughs> for you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.